at the end of our lives, the thing that people are going to say about us or is not like, oh, remember in the summer of 2000, you have those best abs and the best body. Like people are going to remember the experiences we had together, the times we laughed, the memories that we cherished. And that's what really is important in life. Hey everyone, Emily Abadi here coming to you from the AG studio. You are listening to episode 195 of Hurdle, a wellness focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course have some fun along the way. Today, I am chatting with Chrissy King. She's a writer, speaker, and educator with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She's also the creator of the Body Liberation Project, through which she empowers individuals to stop shrinking and start taking up space. What I love about this conversation with Chrissy is that I could really relate to her. You know, we both got into health and wellness because we were hoping to lose weight. But in that journey, I found so many more benefits from taking care of our bodies. In today's episode, she talks to me about that journey and how that shift happened, finding love and powerlifting, competing on a national level, and shifting the conversation in her head toward body positivity and what that looks like for her in practice. She talks openly about her breaking point, her hurdle moment that affirmed there is so much more to life than just being small and that being small doesn't guarantee you happiness. And she also talks to me about the diversity and inclusion work that she's been doing in the wellness industry and how a business coach helped her find her voice and home in on growing her brand. I love the whole vibe of this. I think that there's a lot of really great actionable tips ranging from self-compassion to entrepreneurship. And I really, really adore Chrissy's desire to genuinely empower others from all backgrounds to be celebrated and to feel seen. I'm going to keep this intro this week short and sweet. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast and I am over at Emily Abadi. Also, wait, oh my goodness, how dare I not acknowledge this? It's Monday, February 14th, which means it is Valentine's Day. Happy Love Day, y'all. And remember that whether you are single, whether you are attached, it starts with you. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Chrissy King. How are you doing today, Chrissy? I am so great. How are you? I'm so good. You know, I'm like, we were just talking about fresh beginnings. We're at the end of January right now, but I feel as though I am in this place and I'd love to hear what place you're in where I'm like, okay, I'm here having some grace with myself and I'm just ready to like get really honest about where I'm at and where I'm going. I totally agree. I mean, to be honest, I'm not a big New Year's resolutions type person in general. But right now, I feel like I'm in the midst of like some big projects. And so I didn't even feel like I had the capacity to think about what the next year is. I'm like, I'm just in it right now. And when I get out of this season, we'll figure out what's next then. So I totally (laughs) relate. Yeah. Do the best you can with what you have. Focus on right this 
second. I feel that. I feel that. Well, why don't you kick us off today and tell me a little bit about your journey, you know, how you got invested truly in this wellness space. Absolutely. So I got into the wellness, into fitness specifically, I think a way most people or a lot of people get into it. I just wanted to lose weight. I remember I hired a trainer and I was like, I have one goal, make me skinny. That is all that I care about. And so I remember that first session with my coach, it was like a strength training. I was using like dumbbells and like lots of body weight stuff. But all that felt very like unfamiliar to me. And I remember it being like the hardest 30 minutes of my life. And I was like, I am never doing this again. (laughs) But I signed up for a package. So I was like, okay, I have to keep going now. And so I was working out with her for a couple of months. And then like a little bit by little bit, I started to notice that my body was like able to do things I couldn't do before with a little bit more ease. And it wasn't as torturous. And so slowly, I really started falling in love with strength training. And then through a whole series of events, I ended up training at um, this small strength and conditioning gym. And I remember walking in there the first day and I saw these women in the gym and they were like benching and squatting and like deadlifting. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I've never seen women do that. Um, But my trainer, she still didn't train me that way. So I was just always kind of watching. She eventually stops training. So I end up at the gym, the same gym, and I'm doing like uh, boot boot camp type classes. And for some reason, the owner was like, hey, you should try out this, you know, powerlifting thing with these barbells. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, I'll teach you. I'll show you. And so for whatever reason, I have no idea why to this day, he just decided to show me. I, I didn't pay him for like training sessions or anything. And he taught me how to powerlift. And it was honestly like as cheesy as it sounds. It was like love at first lift. I just fell in love with um, powerlifting and I started competing um, and, you know, at a national level. And it was so great. And then through that journey, I really um, learned that for one, my body is capable of so much more than I thought. And then secondly, I realized that like my body is more than just what it looks like. It's like also so cool what my body can do. And that inspired me to become a trainer. And I wanted other women in particular to like feel the transformative power of strength training and how that those skill sets that I learned in the gym really transferred into other areas of my life. And so I became a coach and a trainer. um, And then that's kind of like how I got into the wellness space. Let's double click really quick on you said you took that to a national level. So what did that look like for you? Yeah. So I remember my first powerlifting competition. I had been training for a couple of years at this point. I had like moved to a different gym and like I knew I was strong, but like when you're in a space with like so many really strong people, like I'm like, I'm strong, but I'm not that strong. And so I remember my first meet, I, um, I don't remember all my numbers, but I remember I deadlifted like 335 pounds and I missed the lift. That was like the, my third lift. I tried to lift like 350, for example, and I, I missed it. And because I had no perspective at that time, I was so devastated. I was like crying at the meet. I was like, I failed. I did such a bad job. I came in like second place at the meet. And they kept competing. Um, yeah. And I remember uh, one year, maybe like two or three years into competing, I was listed in the top 20, like across the country in powerlifting. Um, and it was just really cool because when I joined the gym, I kid you not, I couldn't do a bodyweight pushup, right? Like I could barely do a walking lunge. And my narrative growing up was always that I was a weak person, like physically. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's okay. Like some people are weak, some people are strong. It was like the joke in my family. And so to see that your body is capable of doing these amazing things that I thought I could never do 
really helped me realize like, oh, okay, so if that narrative wasn't true, that I'm just a weak person, what other things in my life aren't true? And so I really credit powerlifting and strength training to like changing the trajectory of my life. Um, because when I got into strength training, I was working in a corporate job. I was working for the Department of Veterans Affairs, doing really well. I was in an upper management position, but wasn't happy in that role at all, actually. Um, and so through training, I've just like completely changed the trajectory of my career. And I do really credit all of it just to coming into the gym and start training. Where do you think that narrative came from that you were a weak person? Uh, I think it was just like a joke in my family. Like they would be like, oh, don't ask her to help. She's like a weakling. And I was like, yeah, it's okay. I am a weakling. It's no big deal. Like I, I wasn't physically strong. I had never like worked out as a child. I wasn't like athletic. I was more into like reading and writing and um, stuff like that. So I wasn't like a very athletic and I didn't um, use my physical strength in any way, shape or form. So it was just like the joke in my family. I was the weakling and I was like, yeah, it's cool. It's okay. Also, I think that a lot of people approach traditional strength training and feel a little bit intimidated, mostly because they don't have perhaps the foundations and they're not exactly sure how to get into it without quote unquote looking a certain way. Uh, For you, what made you open to it, do you think? Do you think it was just the fact that someone was there to be like, hey, I think this thing is something that you could be really good at? Or do you think that there was something inside of you that was like, I'm really looking for a new challenge? Like, what was the thing that really opened that door for you? So when I originally joined the gym, because I was never a person who would go to the gym, I joined the gym because my younger sister had joined. And she told me she joined the gym. And I was like, what are you talking about? We don't work out. <laughs> like, what do you what do you mean you joined the gym? And so I was like, well, if you're going to work out, I'm going to work out. So that's why initially I even joined the gym. And that first strength training session I had, again, it was because my sister had hired a trainer. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try a trainer. And I remember telling my trainer, like, I wasn't interested in strength training or lifting weights. And she was like, but you said you wanted to be skinny. And I was like, I do. And she's like, well, look at my body. And this is what I do, which now I know doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case. That doesn't always (laughs) correlate. But I had no idea what I was talking about at that time. And I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to look like you, like sign me up, even if it's going to be torture, I'm down. And then by the time I made it to that other gym where I saw people, you know, deadlifting and benching and squatting, I had been training enough to realize that like I kind of liked it a little bit, right? Like it was hard, but I could see my body progressing and getting stronger. And I like that feeling. Talk about an evolution, right? About like where fitness has come from and where it's going. I mean, obviously we're going to get into more of some of the work that you do now and the conversations that you're having now, but it is bizarre when you take a step back and think about the things that we used to be preached when we walked through any door of any big box gym. Absolutely. I think from where I started to where I am now is wildly different. Um, And even the things that I thought back then uh, are so different now, which I think is so important that we talk about, though, because we are all allowed to change our minds along the way and to have new revelations and to realize like, oh, maybe that thing I thought before wasn't actually true. Um, And we're allowed to evolve. Like that's a part of our journey. You said you walked in with this goal to get quote unquote skinny. Did you realize along your journey, like were you achieving that goal? Did your did your goals and priorities just completely shift? What had happened for you during that time? Oh my gosh, so so much happened during that time. So even when I started powerlifting, you know, I was starting to think about my body differently. I was still very much in, uh, had this thought process of wanting to be in a smaller body. And I did have what people would call like a transformation, so to speak, and lost a lot of weight. My body looked really different. Um, but 
for me, what was happening is like the stronger I got and the leaner I got, I realized I still was never really getting happier with the way my body looked. Like there would always be something else. I'd be like, oh, I need to lose a few more pounds or I need to change this part of my body. And it was like I was never satisfied. And I remember being the leanest I've ever been in life um, and literally feeling so obsessed with my body and wanting it to be smaller still. And I was in this place where people would, you know, I looked noticeably fit by like mainstream standards. Right. And so people would constantly be like, oh, my God, you look so great. And like you like you look amazing. And I didn't feel good about how I looked. I was really miserable. And I had and I was so obsessed with food as well. I was obsessed with everything that I ate and I was obsessed with working out. And so my family knew that if they asked me to do something that was going to interfere with my workout, the answer was always going to be no. And I was tracking macros at the time. And I was very much doing it under the guise of like health, but it was really like I was literally obsessed with controlling my body. And I counted every single morsel of of food that went into my body. And so even when I was like in this ideal body, like I was, I felt like a prisoner in my own body because I couldn't enjoy life really. I wouldn't want to go out with friends because I wouldn't be able to control everything that I ate. And I had like my rock bottom moment, I call it. Um, I was married at the time. And I had like a weekend trip with my in-laws, which is like my worst nightmare at that time, because I'm like, how am I going to control my food for the entire weekend? And so that weekend I packed like so many meals to bring with me. And we were at like a water park and we like took a lunch break and we went to this restaurant and I stayed in the car because I had like this sad meal that was in a Tupperware container that had been like in the car all day. And I was going to eat that. And so my partner at the time, he was super gracious and generous. And so he told his family that I wasn't coming inside because like I brought my own meal and I wanted to be healthy and they were so nice. They asked a restaurant if I could bring my own food in and the restaurant obliged. And I just remember sitting there with this like really sad meal and like watching everybody order and enjoy what they wanted and feeling so miserable in that moment. And I realized then like I could literally spend the rest of my life feeling this way or I could address my issues with body image um, because I wasn't really happy at all. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, this is a story that I can surely, surely relate to. When I think of my smallest moments, I am like coming out of the ashes of like despair and sadness in some of like the worst relationships of my life. And I too was like trying to control these things because everything else felt just so out of control. And I think distinctly, I remember just one person voicing concern and everyone else, it was the same thing that you are talking about here. People looking at you and being like, you look so great. What have you been doing? Like asking all these questions. And the answer they want isn't the answer that like, I felt like I needed to scream from the rooftops. It's like, oh, what I've been doing is I am effing miserable here. I am effing miserable. And this is the only thing that I feel like I have any control over. And like, I cannot live my life like this. But that's not what you're looking for. That's not what you want to hear. That's like you want like this super secret sauce so that you too can like can like be whatever it is that we think that we're supposed to quote unquote be. And that's BS. Yeah, it's called misery. That's like that's why I look like this. It's misery. It's sadness. And I also that's one of the things I talk about now. I think it's so important that we really be cognizant of not 
commenting on people's bodies because we really don't know what's going on with people, right? And so we have been like so ingrained to look at a person in a smaller body and be like, oh my God, you look great. And you look this and that without knowing anything about what's actually happening with that person. They could be suffering from chronic illness. They could have an eating disorder. They could be depressed, right? Like so many things could be happening. And here we are congratulating them on being in a smaller body without knowing what's actually happening. So you have this rock bottom moment, what we call here on the show, a hurdle moment. How do you pull yourself together? Yeah, it was hard, actually. So, I mean, I remember that weekend, the first thing I was like, okay, I I have to stop tracking everything I eat. That's like the first thing for me. However, when you've been tracking food for a very long time, you know what you're eating, right? And so um, I did stop intentionally tracking, but, and I started like allowing myself things that felt small at the time. Like for example, putting cream in my coffee, right? Which I would never do because I'm like, that's just extra calories that you don't need. So even though I was still being super mindful of what I was eating, I started adding in these little things and I'm like, okay, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. I'm fine. And so just little by little, I started to trust myself more with food because I think what happens for a lot of us is that we lose trust with ourselves because we become so dependent on what other people are telling us or so dependent on tracking and like exercising a certain amount of time. And so really just leaning into trusting myself again. And instead of working out seven days a week, I was like, okay, let's work out six days a week. And, you know, and slowly over time, I was able to really get back into a better place with food and exercise. And then also throughout that time, I really started to think about my relationship with my body and body image and where my worth was coming from. And, you know, um, and, and how did I value myself? And so really having those hard conversations and you pointed to something already that's very true is that I think for a lot of people, when we are so um, focused on our bodies and trying to shrink them and maintain them, it really is because other things feel out of control in our lives. And oftentimes it's easier to focus on our bodies than to address those issues head on. And so I really started having to address a lot of things in my life that I wasn't um, paying attention to or looking at because they were really the bigger issue, right? And that, and I was focusing it all on my body and food and all that. Were you uh, speaking with anyone at this time about working on your body image and that di- inner dialogue? I actually wasn't. I mean, I should have been, but I actually didn't start therapy until like a couple of years ago, way too late, by the way. But um, no, I wasn't. But I did, you know, I started reading books. Um, One of the first books I read about body image is The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. Um, And so I started doing that. And I really started delving into what at that time, I guess I would consider the body positivity space and just starting to think about how I can think about my body differently. Were there any specific exercises or like important conversations maybe that you made a point to have with yourself that like you really reflect back on those moments and you were like, wow, this was a really important component to that particular journey? That's a good question. Let me think about that. I think one thing that I I always reminded myself of during that time and and I still remind myself of when I feel myself like having bad body image days or thinking about maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that is I always try to remind myself of how truly miserable I was in that place and how unhappy I really was. Um, Because I think it's really easy to like look back at pictures of yourself, right? When you felt like you had your quote unquote best body and be like, oh man, I really wish I looked like that again or, or grieving your old self, right? And when I go back, I always remember how really, truly sad and miserable it was at that time. Um, And that's not a place that I want to go back to. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I can totally relate to that. I feel like that's why journaling is just so important in general. I don't think that I have an especially good memory. So I feel as though as I've gotten older, I've made it even more of a priority to not just like write down events as they happen, but like get really specific about some details about what was really happening and where my mindset was and how I felt because that journaling practice can really help me go back specifically to that time. Like, yes, I do recognize again with the photos, like you can see a photo, but if you don't really like take the moment to reflect on what's happening there, then you can start to tell yourself even more of these stories that actually in the long haul, as we're talking about body image in this instance, uh, can really be detrimental. Absolutely. And I, and it's so you're right. Like it's so important to like write down how you're actually feeling in that moment because I've went back and read old journals and I've read old journal entries that made me cry. I was like, Oh my God, that was so sad that that's what I was feeling at that time. And so it is important to remember how we are really feeling um, and, and how we want to feel in our lives going forward. And one thing I always recognize about body image is that being in a smaller body did not make me feel like I was living a fully nourished present life. I felt like I was missing out on experiences because I was always stressed about what I looked like or what other people were thinking about my body. I wasn't really enjoying those moments. And I just always remind myself and other people that life is super short. At the end of our lives, the thing that people are going to say about us is not like, oh, remember in the summer of 2000? Yeah, those best abs and the best body. Like people are going to remember the experiences we had together, the times we laughed, the memories that we cherished. And that's what really is important in life. Yeah. Wow. So profound. So for you, as you start to maybe get more comfortable with your body and shift some of the stories and the way that you have been behaving, what else starts to happen for you during this time? Yeah. So I had already started uh, coaching and training on the side while I was already working at my job. Um, and so sh- like actually like a little bit or probably like a year or two after I was really like in a much better place with my body and feeling much better. I quit my job, my corporate job to do my like side hustle full time. And again, at that time, it was very much focused on training clients and strength training, which, you know, I love and I still do love. But the thing that I always wanted to do when I was a kid is I always said I was going to be a writer. And I told you I spent a lot of my time as a child, like reading books and writing. And so when I was working on my business, I had hired this business coach. Um, it was helping me like with my online business and I was training in person too. And one thing that my coach always said is like, you need to have a blog. And I was like, well, cool. I don't really have anything to write about, but I'm going to write. And so I started writing again um, on my own personal blog. And at first I was just writing about things that felt very like the things you should talk about in fitness, you know, like cool workouts and like all these type of things. (laughs) But I had this blog that I had written and I was really scared to post about it because it seemed very controversial at the time. This was probably back in 2016. And my coach, or 2017 probably, my coach was like, you need to post that blog. And so the blog was entitled, Is Fitness Only for Thin White Women? And it was talking about the lack of diversity, inclusion, and fitness, which now is a conversation that happens all the time. But like in 2016, 2017, that really was not the conversation happening. And so I remember being so terrified to write this article, posted on my own blog, I should say. And to be clear, there was like not very many people reading my stories. So it wasn't like it was like this huge, you know, thing. But anyways, I remember posting it and I posted it at a day um, where I like couldn't be on my computer for a while or I think I was traveling. And so I was like, I'm going to post it. I'm going to be scared. I'm going to run away. And then I remember (laughs) four hours later, I went back to the Internet 
And it was like, it was the first time people were actually like reading my blog and sharing it. Like people were sharing it all over the internet. I was like, oh my God, people read this and they, they don't hate me and they're sharing it. And so it was a really important moment for me because it was really um, a reminder that like, I don't need to be scared to say things that are unpopular. I need to say the things that really are what I want to talk about instead of trying to say the things I think I should say. Um, And then interestingly enough, after writing that article, um, it was the first time that I actually like uh, some mainstream publications reached out to me to start writing for them. Um, And so that's how I kind of got into writing. And and now my career is like 90% writing, um, but that's how it all started from just writing that blog and posting that scary thing. um, And that really transitioned the trajectory of my career as well. So it's always like one thing. I feel like I do a hard thing and I'm like, okay, I did that hard thing and I survived. I can do another hard thing. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. So Firstly, tell us about a little bit more about the blog itself that you were nervous to put up. Yeah. So I remember it was like, again, I I thought about this blog for a couple of reasons. Number one, as I got into fitness and wanting to like be a coach and wanting to be really well, do really well, I started going to a lot of like industry fitness events. And the first thing I noticed is number one, there weren't a lot of people of color in the room. But also the other thing I noticed is that there was hardly any speakers there were people of color. And so I was like, wow, this kind of sucks. There's like no representation for people who look like me here. Um, and that's like disheartening. And then number two, I was specifically um, trying to create some graphics for something that I was doing for my business. And I like Googled women doing pushups and all the pictures that came up at that time were white women doing pushups. I like couldn't find with any, like, like I had probably awful form. <laughs> yes. With very bad form. And uh, they were dressed really in lots of pink. But I couldn't find like hardly any women of color. And I was like, wow, this is so weird because I know that people of color work out. I know that we're in gym spaces. And I just feel like we're not being represented in the fitness industry, which is like a lot of industries. Um, And then also, I also have a background. I went to college for social welfare and justice. So like talking about intersections of identity and have always been like top of mind for me. Um, And so that's what I wanted to write this blog about, about how we need more representation in the fitness industry because fitness is for everybody, like, you know, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, age, ability status, like wellness has so many benefits for everyone. And I think it's so important for all of us to feel welcome in fitness spaces and to see ourselves represented there. You know, it's interesting because I I think a lot about that idea of fitness being for everybody. And a lot of the conversations that have been circulating over the past year, uh, specifically when it comes to access, right? And perhaps be, depending on maybe even like geographic location. Like it's one thing if you live in one area and you feel comfortable going outside of your home and like going for a run versus someone who may not have that same luxury. But then I bring it into the home, right? And I ask myself, what is it that's within my control inside where I live? And that's where I think some of that ownership comes into the equation, right? Because it's like, if you're willing to make that first step, I would say, which is saying, I want to do X. I recognize that maybe I feel this sort of way. I want to feel this sort of way. And so I'm going to make the change. Well, it starts there. And then you ask yourself, what do I have to do X? And so it is frustrating to have a seat at the table where we're all talking about perhaps the lack of access or the lack of diversity and inclusion in the wellness space. But then also at times feeling a little frustrated that there are some things that I believe that we can do if we're willing to take ownership over what it is that we have available to us in those circumstances. I totally agree. And I think, but 
when I'm speaking to, uh, at least from the work that I do within the fitness and wellness industry, um, it's more about uh, the industry as a whole in terms of when we're talking about what inclusivity looks like in fitness spaces, right? And ensuring that people feel welcome in those spaces. So for me, it's less about people's ability to access it in their homes, because I totally agree with you. Like, there's so many ways that we can just access movement in our homes that are very low. The, 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 the barrier of entry is very low, right? Especially mm. now, I think, with so many apps that are like body weight. You, you can do body weight workouts. There's so many things that we can do at our homes. Um, so I totally agree with you on that. I think when I think of the industry as a whole um, and inclusion, I think of like walking into gyms and not having gender neutral changing facilities, right? And I think, again, for people who are cisgender, those are things that perhaps we don't think about because it doesn't affect us personally, right? Or walking into gyms and they're not ADA compliant. So if you're a wheelchair user, you can't access them easily or you can't get into a bathroom if it's not ADA compliant. Um, so things like that, I think there we have so much space in the fitness industry and the wellness industry to make changes. Um, thinking about our language and using gender neutral language and respecting people's pronouns. I think there's industry-wide, we have so many things we can do so that people feel comfortable walking into fitness spaces and feeling like this is a space that I belong in and that I'll feel comfortable and safe here. Yeah, because it can be so intimidating as it is, right? Like fitness can already be intimidating enough. Like the last thing that anybody needs is to feel like immediately discriminated against before they even walk through the double doors. I mean, yes. And yes, exactly. Because it is super intimidating to walk into a gym, right? And like, if again, if you're not familiar with like, if you're new to strength training, or if you're new to just being in the gym, and you walk in and it looks like everybody knows what they're doing and they look like they belong there. Like it's intimidating for anybody, I feel like, to walk into a new space. And so, of course, sure. like the last thing you need is these extra barriers that feel like more prohibitive for you. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up. Green Chef. Green Chef is the CCOF certified meal kit company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you are keto or paleo or vegan or vegetarian or gluten-free or really just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a wide variety of recipes to suit your preferences. And when I say wide variety, I mean it. 35 nutritious and flavorful options to choose from every single week. And those feature premium clean ingredients that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Last week in my kitchen, what did I make? I made a, oh, a chicken and creamy zucchini noodles with roasted red peppers, peas, and Parmesan to die for. And also, oh, I'm such a sucker for pasta, especially when it's chilly out there cavatappi and turkey meatballs with cremini mushrooms. The best thing about this, all the ingredients are pre-portioned. All you've got to do is kind of like chef it up, assemble, and it just, it's my perfect way to relieve stress at the end of a busy work day. Of course, they have a deal for you. You've got to get in on the Green Chef action. Head on over to greenchef.com slash hurdle 130. That's greenchef.com slash hurdle 130 and use code hurdle 130 to get 100 and $30 off plus free shipping today. Again, that's hurdle 130 at checkout to get $130 off at greenchef.com plus free shipping. Also want to give some love to my friends at Gooder. Man, I love Gooder. 
I, I literally can't gush over Gooder sunglasses enough. And that's because they're just like no fuss. They're no bounce. They're polarized. They don't slip. And they are guaranteed to like be something that you don't have to think about when you're on the move. I wore mine on Saturday during a long run over to Rockaway Beach. It was the most beautiful day and was literally raving about my, I was wearing the Operation Blackout, which are one of my favorite styles <laughs> to a group of my friends. Of course, my favorite, a black aviator looking style may not be your cup of tea, but that's cool because they have so many options. I'm also a huge fan of their Circle G's. They have shapes and styles for every single taste. I rave about these all of the time, which means that if you haven't gotten in on the Gooder train yet, then now is the perfect time. And of course, they have a deal for the hurdle listeners. Head on over to Gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle to get 15% off your order today using the code hurdle at checkout. Again, that is Gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle to get 15% off already amazing prices today. So you mentioned some other outlets had started to reach out to you to write for them. Talk to me about what that part of your journey looks like, because that in itself can also be super exciting, but also mega intimidating as someone who's also been there. Yes, 100%. So shortly after I written, it was either that article or I wrote another article. No, it was another article I wrote like a little bit later that um, a lot of people had circulated and it was about um, intersection of racism and fitness spaces. And um, so after I wrote that article, uh, Self Magazine reached out to me. And first of all, when I got the email, I was like, uh, more than intimidated wasn't the word I was like, did they send this to the right person? <laughs> <laughs> Total imposter syndrome. Right. Imposter syndrome on 100. Right. And so I was like, of course, excited to write the the article and they wanted me to kind of like expand on the things I was talking about. And so I said, yes, of course, but I, I was so intimidated writing that article and, you know, and, and talk about imposter syndrome. I think there's something to be said about feeling like, who am I to be writing this? Who am I to be having a voice in this space? And again, I think it's also because like when I started writing about these things on my own blog, it wasn't like I set out to like, I'm going to like change the industry. I was really just like, these are the things that are on my mind. And that's what I'm talking about. And so when a larger publication like Self was like, hey, come write about this. I was like, oh, no, this is big. I mean, this feels really scary. Um, but it was also a really cool moment because it was for me, I was like, I do think the things I'm talking about are important. And now I get to talk about them on a larger scale. And so after that, like I always, you know, I always have like a really hard time when people ask me how to get into writing. And I'm like, I'm probably the worst person for you to ask because it just was like, I wrote that article and then it just more publications reached out. And it just was like a, it was a very simple process for me. And, um, that I don't think is the case always for people who are trying to get into freelance writing. Um, and so it happened very organically. And I, and, and to be honest, most things that I've been working on have happened very organically. And so my advice for people, which I don't know is if it's always applicable, but my advice for people is to like, follow your passion, follow your truth, say the things that are important to you. And I just believe that the right doors are going to open up for you. And of course you have to work hard. Like I've always worked hard at the things I've done, 
But I think that I've always been really aligned with what was truly um, my passion and the things that I was passionate about. Um, and that's really just opened up doors for me. When did you leave your former job that you had mentioned? Um, in August of 2018. Okay. So yeah. this is all kind of happening around the same time. Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I, I think that someone who hears this that may be interested in getting into freelance writing, they're going to be like, well, how much writing were you doing and were you training? So talk a little bit about uh, maybe that decision process, right? Of kind of taking that leap of faith away from a nine to five, which so many people, you know, they love and they do and that's cool, but to each their own, right? So how did you make the decision that this was the right move for you? Yes. I would love to talk about that. So when I was at my nine to five, when I started coaching and training from the point that I started coaching and training to the point that I left my job was about three years. And so for those three years, I was really hustling. Um, so yeah, working my nine to five, training my clients tonight, coming home, working on my online business. And I do not recommend what I'm about to say to anybody, but it is what I did. There was probably a good year and a half where I was sleeping only four to five hours a night. I was really, really hustling. And again, I don't necessarily think that was healthy. I will hope I never have to do something like that again, but it is what I did. And so I hustled for a really long time. Um, and then when I decided to leave my job, I actually, you know, my business was doing my side, I call it my side business, but it was really like, it was my business was doing really well. And also it was still really scary to leave my job because it's like that security of having a paycheck that you know is steady and stable every week, right? Um, you have steady vacation, like it feels that level of security. Um, but when I was that business coach I was working with, she was like, Chrissy, it is time for you to leave your job. Your business is going to explode when you have another 40 plus hours that you can, you know, free up that you can put into your business. Also, you can sleep more, your creative It's going to be great. I was like, I don't know. I really don't know if this is the right move for me. And I was also having, um, a lot of really stressful situations at my place of employment happening at that time. Um, and I was like getting sick, physically ill, like breaking out in hives at my workplace. And so it was like the perfect storm. All these things were happening. And I was like, it is, it's just, it's, I have to make this decision now. I have to leave. And it was really scary. I will never downplay that for people. But I do know that I was also adequately prepared. And so I always say to people, I would never encourage someone to just quit their jobs and just go for their dreams, right? I think we can do both things at the same time for a while until it feels safe for us to be like, okay, I have something set up. I can trust that this is going to at least pay my bills and I'll be okay. Yeah, man. Oh, I hear that four to five hours of sleep thing. I used to teach a spin class at 6 a.m., which meant I have to let leave at 5, God, 15 a.m. and like questionably get on the subway and then go to the studio. And then after that was done, I would shower and go to my WeWork and I would work there until mm -hmm. 8 and then I would go home and I would eat too late. And oh my God, just the things that we do when we're younger to think about, you know, like these are the things that are going to get me to where I want to be. These are the things that are going to get me to where I want to be. And I believe exactly what you said. Like we all go through these periods of like intense grind, hard work. Uh, and to anyone that's listening to this right now that may feel as though they are in that period or that season, know that it doesn't last forever. And that doesn't mean the hard work stops. It just shifts in a way that, uh, kind of grows with you, right? When you step into your purpose and you figure out exactly how it is that you can proceed in a way that's actually sustainable and does fuel you and does make you feel invigorated and excited to show up every day and do it after getting more than five hours of sleep. <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And something else you've talked about a few times here is your business coach. Can you talk to us about how you found that business coach? Yes. So again, me, I'm, I'm a Sagittarius, by the way. So I really just go with things. And so you're like, I just need to disclaim this. Before I need to disclaim that before I tell you what happened. So what happened there. is I was training in person and I was like, wow, I'd really like to make this my full-time job sometime, but I don't really see how that was possible because I was work, I was making six figures at my job. And I was like, I don't think I can replace that being a trainer. And so I had just been like thinking, ruminating about this. And I was on Instagram one day and someone I followed had posted in their stories a picture with this other woman. I was like, oh, I've never heard of this woman before. So I clicked on her on the story to go to this woman's page. I go to her page and she has this post and I don't even remember what the post said exactly, but it was around like business and online training and it just the post super resonated with me. And so I commented on the post and then she commented back and I was like, wow, that was so cool. Cause I felt like at that time, a lot of people with bigger pages didn't really comment back. And so then I like looked in her page a little bit more and I noticed that she was running like a free five day, like course or some sort. And so I was like, Oh, I want to sign up. So I signed up, but I had already missed day one. And so I sent her a DM, which obviously lack of boundaries, but at that time I didn't know any better. So I sent her a DM and I was like, Hey, I missed day one. Is there any way I can get access to it? And she wrote back super quick and she was like, yeah, what's your email? We'll get it over to you. And I was like, wow, this woman is so nice. Um, and so anyways, it was a, fri- a five-day free course, which now I know was just like an introduction to like launch her, her business training. And I did the five-day course. And then she like, lo- she told us at the end, like how we could join. I think it was like $6,000. I was like, take my money. This is what I need. <laughs> and that is the extent oh, of the re- I had never heard of this woman. I, did, I mean, in hindsight, she was like really great and she was like really well known in the industry, but I didn't know who she was. I had never heard of her, but I'm like, I like it. Sign me up. Done. Isn't it so interesting that there are so many things now that are exactly like that? Like that is an, a complete ecosystem business model for thousands and thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs. It's like, I'm going to yes. give you this free thing and then you're going to like me and you're going to trust me. And then I'm going to sell you the co- something that costs between three and $6,000 and you're going to be so excited about it. It is going <laughs> to change your life. You're going to be a whole new person by the time that you're done with this. And you're going to tell people, man, that's the best three to six thousand dollars I ever spent. And then they're going to get you more clients because they believe in everything you just sold them. It's the whole, it's a legit business model. It really is. And that, and that business coach is actually named Jill Coleman. I've been talking about her this whole time, but that's her name is Jill Coleman. She's a phenomenal business coach. I ended up working with her for almost three years. Um, and I tell her all the time that the things that she taught me in those three years were so fundamental to where I am now. Um, not so much only because of like the technical stuff, but more because she also like gave me the confidence, right, that mm. I could do this. And so, yeah, she's she's phenomenal. And just for a little bit more background, uh, not that this is purposefully becoming like a, you know, four minute advertisement, but uh, <laughs> in that program, what were some of the stuff or what were some of the things that you focused on in that? Because I think when someone here is like, okay, I got a business coach, uh, it may make sense if you think about it like in a one-on-one sense. But when it comes to like a larger program, I would just be curious as to what was a com- like, what was, what, what that included. Yeah. So I don't even know what kind of programs Jill's running now, but at that time, this was a program that was like for people who were from like zero to one year in business and so, mm. which was me. Right. And cause I didn't have an online business yet. And it was, it specifically was geared towards trainers and coaches who wanted to take their business online. 
So it was geared toward fitness professionals. Yes. yes. Okay. It was geared toward fitness professionals. And so when I first worked with her, it was like very, in hindsight, I say basic stuff, but like things I didn't think about because I didn't have an online business. So it was like how to start an email list, right? How to get a website, like how to, what, what is a funnel system, right? Like why it was the importance of a blog, how to do social media, things that were very much like, oh yeah, I need an email list. Like, duh, that would be really helpful. How do I set that up? Um, how do I create content? What's a good way to create? What's a strategy? Like, so very tactical things is what I say. And then I said, like, I worked with her for three years, but year three was way, she had like a mastermind at that time. It was a higher price point. Um, and I was in her mastermind. And that was very much more like, how are you in your own business working towards these particular goals? She wasn't teaching us about emails anymore. We knew how to do that now, right? It was like, where's your business going? What do you need to strategically work on for yourself? Um, and where, what's your vision of where you're taking your business? Um, and also year one, two, she like taught me how to launch a do-it-yourself program. So I remember like my first program was called Power Conditioning, which is still a really great program, by the way. And so I had done all the programming. <laughs> I did all the programming. And it was like a lot as a PDF that people could download and do for themselves. And I think I sold it for $47. And I remember that first launch when I had done that, I made like maybe $10,000 and I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing in the whole world. Like I can make a program, I can sell it online people will buy it and I could sell it again. Um, and so just like things like that, she taught me how to do. Uh, something that you are doing a lot lately is a lot of writing. Also over the last few years, maybe more so than back in 2018, considering everything that's been going on in our world, getting more and more immersed in your diversity and inclusion work. I'd love to ask you a little bit about, I guess, how things have been for you being in this space over the last two, three years now, uh, especially during the pandemic. And just talk to me a little bit about what the last few years have been like for you being uh, so immersed in the diversity and inclusion space. Yeah, absolutely. So prior, I, I would say like, pre-George Floyd, right? Because that's when I think people within the wellness industry really like started having these conversations more. Pre-George Floyd, I was um, already hosting like webinars around diversity and inclusion, sometimes just on my own for people like virtually, but I was speaking at universities occasionally. And so like I was kind of doing this work um, already. And so then fast forward to George Floyd, and I remember someone had reached out to me shortly after George Floyd in the fitness space and was like, hey, I remember you did these workshops before. Like, are they available for purchase? Like, I think we could really use them right now. And I was decided to like revamp them and do um, a new series of workshops. And I wanted one of them to be specifically on anti-racism, not just diversity and inclusion. And so I revamped those sometime in like late June, I think, thinking like a couple, you know, hundred people would come and like over a thousand people ended up showing up for the workshops. And so, yeah, I was really busy during that time. And then because of that, because of the workshops and because of the amount of people that showed up, um, I started getting more um, requests from like private companies to come do the training individually for them, yoga studios mm -hmm. and like larger companies like Google even. And so from like July of 2020, to, I, I don't know, I would say forever. I've just been really, really busy with DEI work um, and writing. And so that's um, been the majority of the work I'm doing now. I do quite a few trainings and workshops every month for companies and has been really good because I think it's important that we're having these conversations. Also very exhausting, <clears throat> excuse me. So 
very exhausting. So to your point of like feeling like I need to, you know, take some time, definitely feeling like I'm in that space right now where it's like, I, I think I've just been at a marathon speed for the last 18 to 20 months. Um, and just now starting to realize how truly burned out I'm feeling, you know, cause there's this been mm. non and so, like I said, I'm working on a book right now, or I didn't say that, but I'm working on a book right now. Um, and so once that is due and I turn that first draft in, I'm definitely taking a little bit of time off because I just, yeah, I'm really burned out. And I think I'm just starting to really see um, how the impact of the last 20 months, because it's been really great to be able to share my work in a bigger capacity. And also I think that I've downplayed the fact that I was doing a lot of really important work during a time that was very also traumatizing in a, a lot of ways. Um, and so just like, oh, yeah, I need to take some time and process that because it was a lot. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a lot. And to to be able to vocalize, firstly, thank you for all the work that you do, but to also be uh, to be able to vocalize like yes, you know what? I am feeling so overwhelmed right now. And that can be hard because you want to show up. You want to help. But there's a difference between knowing that your intention is positive and knowing that you want to help and being like really, really, I don't know, like if you can't show up and be your full self and actually help to the capacity that you know that you're capable of, then sometimes we do need to have that hard conversation with ourselves and step back and ask yourself, what is it that I need right now so that I can come back with a full cup so that I can come back and give, you know, 110% of myself to things? Because it seems as though uh, you and I share this in common that we like to show up and bring everything that we have to the table. Yes, it, it's true. And I and I, I feel like I've been showing up for a really long time. And it's like also just important to think of like, how am I showing up for myself? Mm -hmm. Right. And what does showing up for myself mean? And yeah, like, how am I adequately taking care of me? Because if I'm not taking care of myself, like this work won't be sustainable, right? I can't do it sustainably if I'm if I'm burned out, if I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed. And I think also as a person um, who is in a lot of ways used to being a high achiever when you have a lot of opportunities coming to you and you're like, yeah, this is great. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. It's all really amazing. But two things can be true at the same time. Things can be really awesome and you can also be overwhelmed, right? Both things can be true. And so, yeah, I think it's really important for all of us to remember when we need downtime, when we need to take a break and to like really pay attention to what we need personally as well. It's like those, uh, I don't know if meme is the right word, but all of those like photos or posts that you'll see that like depression can look like 20 different things. And like one of the things is someone like laughing that we all think is like the super successful human, but they are clearly, despite being quote unquote, very successful, spread super thin and not taking any time for themselves and feeling just like completely overwhelmed. And it's like, oh, like maybe we all just need to take a step back sometimes and be like, what's really happening here? Absolutely. I could not agree more for sure. And I think for me also, it's so important because, you know, the book I'm writing is entitled The Body Liberation Project. And it's about body image and how do we truly feel liberated in our bodies. And even that word liberation and freedom, right? And I'm thinking for myself, right? Like, especially in terms of being a Black woman, like Black liberation doesn't feel like me being exhausted all the time, right? Like, that's not that's not what my ancestors had in mind for me. And so I'm like, okay, that means it's time for me to reevaluate how I'm living those values out for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So 
how would you say or how would you articulate that conversation is for yourself now versus 2018 when it comes to where you're at with your own body, body acceptance, and perhaps uh, those negative thoughts that used to run rampant? Yeah, sure. So I think one thing I always talk about when it talks about body, when I'm talking about body image and body liberation is I think that sometimes social media gives us this idea that one day you arrive at like a place of like total peace and happiness with your body and then you never have another negative thought again. And that is so far from the truth, right? That <laughs> that place does not exist. I don't care what anybody says. It's not true. It's just not. It's not true. And I think what's so important for us to remember is that our relationship with our bodies are ever changing, right? And especially living within a culture that is hyper-focused on women's bodies in particular and how they and how they look, like we're constantly getting messages that tell us we're not enough, right? We're constantly getting messages that tell us that we need to do something different. And so, yes, we're constantly getting those messages. So, of course, we're going to feel triggered. We're going to have moments where we're not feeling happy with our bodies. But for me, what that has looked like is um, I can flip that narrative faster than I used to be able to, right? So it's not that I never have those moments, but then I can recognize really quickly that's not what I believe to be true. Um, and so that, for me, has been the change is that I can bring myself back a lot sooner than I used to be able to bring myself back. And also, I can give myself a lot more compassion than I used to be able to give myself. If you wake up having a bad body image day, it's okay. That's normal, right? And if you're feeling like not the best, how can I meet myself with compassion in this moment instead of guilt or shame? Also, too, if you're in a place where you're really struggling with like perhaps understanding that like maybe your desire for weight loss is really um, rooted in diet culture and you're saying, but still, I still want to lose weight because I would feel better about myself. Like also having compassion that these are thin privilege and these things that exist in the world are very real. And so if that's what you're feeling, like that's okay. And that's totally normal. There's no reason to feel guilt or shame about that. And I think my biggest thing for people is body autonomy. Do what feels best for your body and also question the desire behind it. Mm, question the desire behind it. Because just like, you know, with money, I had someone on the show recently that talked a lot about uh, you know, smart finances for the new year. And when it comes to our financial health and, it has so much of the same roots of emotion as we get to when we talk about our bodies and our weight. It's like there's so much emotion tied sometimes for many. I mean, at least I can speak for myself. I love this idea that body positivity, it doesn't mean that you're never going to have a bad day. And I think that that's where the misconception comes in, right? Is people hear that term and they're like, can you just be like real with me? Like you really mean to say like you're a body positive person and like, yes. And I think that's the important part. Like, yes. And dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, it's a whole nother conversation. So we don't have to go too far into this, but I think, um, even the word body positivity has really like been co-opted and changed its meaning in so many ways. I think we really mm -hmm. lost track of like the original source of what that was supposed to mean because the, the body positivity space was originally created by fat women and black women as a space to celebrate themselves because they didn't see themselves represented in mainstream, uh, mainstream like uh, platforms or didn't see themselves represented as beautiful in mainstream platforms. 
So it's not so much about how do I feel in my body every day. It's about can I respect and appreciate and value my body regardless of what it looks like? Can I show myself love and gratitude despite what people try to say is wrong with my body? But we've just like these these terms, the more like popularized they become, we lose the meaning of what it was really about. Um, but the reality is, yes, we all have struggles with our body. We are never going to arrive at a place where we're never going to feel negative or have negative thoughts about our bodies. And we work towards coming to a place of more gratitude, appreciation, and love in the bodies that we have. And that is a journey. It's an, a literal journey. You, uh, you mentioned a few years, quote unquote, too late. Although I would argue that, you know, <laughs> whenever you make this decision for yourself, that it's the right time to finally make this decision for yourself, but starting to go to therapy. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what you've learned by uh, adding what I'll say, like this person to your personal toolkit? Yes. Um, the reason I really quickly, the reason I say that I started a few years too late is, um, which is never too late. You're correct. In January, 2019, my dad unexpectedly passed away very tragically. Two weeks later, my partner and I decided to separate. We had been married for 10 years. And August of that year, I moved to New York from Wisconsin. Then the pandemic started and then George Floyd and then all the worst. So I was just like thing after thing, after thing, everything. But anyways, um, adding a therapist now has been so great because it's really a pro- a place for me where I can process, again, all of this. I, I always say, I know this word trauma is overused, but really like process trauma or unhealed wounds or things that I've just pushed to the side and kept going. Um, and it's a person who, you know, I have a black therapist, which is really important to me because I feel like, you know, I can, she really understands me in a way that I feel like other therapists couldn't necessarily And so it's just been a really safe space for me to process feelings and to have conversations and to like talk about things that I've really pushed to the side for, you know, 20 plus years sometimes. And it's been such a beautiful and painful experience. And so I always say therapy is like therapy is so great and also brings up a lot of things that we haven't addressed. And so, I mean, my therapy sessions involve tears like all the time, right? I think it's been so great for me, though, and I'm so appreciative of the fact that I have the privilege of being able to access therapy. How did you find this woman in particular? Yeah, so I um, was actually asking a friend of mine. I asked friends of mine who had like black therapists and there's a... one of my friend's therapists has a practice. And so she has like five or six therapists in her practice. They're all black women. And so I went on the website and I kind of read about them and this person, for whatever reason, I was like, Oh, I think this, like, I really resonate with this person. And we had a couple of sessions and I was like, Oh yeah, this is a therapist. Now I had another therapist prior to this, um, who was just like, was not a good fit for me at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the other thing with therapy. It's like, you know, you got to date therapists for a little bit and find your right therapist. That really is a good fit for you. Yeah. And I think often we are like worried about saying the wrong thing or like letting our therapist down. But at the end of the day, you are paying for a service. So you have to ask yourself, like if going to your therapist is going to be the thing that gives you more anxiety than going to a therapist may already give you, then that's 100% problematic. (laughs) Absolutely. That's definitely very true. It's super hard though. It's super hard. I feel as though I, anyone I've spoken with that has a therapist, and I mean, many, many people have a therapist. I just started working uh, with a life coach myself, but many individuals on their quest that I have found to be successful when it comes to identifying a uh, practitioner that really works for them. Oftentimes that person they've found through a referral, through a friend. And I would say that when people ask me, 
for their best tip on like how to find the right person, I always say like, try to ask around and find a referral. And that doesn't mean that you need to go to your friend's therapist or your friend's life coach. It could just mean that that person may have another recommendation of someone that's trusted within their network that they can offer to you. Absolutely. Because that's, that's basically how I found mine. And um, yeah, I feel like if my friend, if people, you know, are having a good experience with this person or their practice, like maybe it's, maybe there's someone that would be fit for you. So I think that's, yeah, really good advice. What excites you right now? What excites me is knowing that I'm going to take some time off soon to really rest and recuperate in a way that's really um, meaningful. Um, But then other things that excite me are just like, again, I'm super excited that I have the opportunity to write this book, right? Like that has been a dream of mine for a while. So that excites me. Simple things like taking, making time for myself to just like read a good fiction book, spending time with like my really close friends that like bring me so much joy. Those are the things I look forward to right now on a day-to-day basis. And that's always changing, you know, like later in the year, I'm going to travel some more and that's like exciting. So I think for me, the thing I'm trying to like really get much better at is these things called micro joys or it's like, what are these small moments of joy every single day? Um, and finding meaning in things that are, you know, seemingly small little things. Would you say that the micro joys were something that you focused on a lot after those back to back to back traumatic events from last year? Yes, 100%. And especially after the pandemic started, right? Um, I think, you know, I talked about the events that happened in 2019. And those things are really hard. But what I know about myself is that I'm really good at, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm really good at focusing my attention on other things. Right. And so after I had those dramatic events, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to travel. I was like doing all these things, right. To really keep my mind off of the things that were really hard at that time. But then the pandemic hit and I was like, well, I really can't do any of those things right now. Right. And so that really forced me to sit with some uncomfortable feelings, but then also forced me to really focus on the micro joys. What are these little things that I can find joy and meaning in every day? I love that. I definitely, I I keep a list next to my desk and it's not like earth shattering things, right? It's just literally small items that I can do right now. If I feel as though my world is crumbling around me that I know can just make me like 1% better at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we need. I think like focusing on those big things, but we can't do the big things all the time. So it's like in a day to day, practically, what are these little things we can implement? Yeah, I mean, I would love to get on a flight and go to Italy like every other day. That sounds exactly sounds exactly <laughs> what, what I, I need, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I need. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so appreciative for all of your time today. How I how I wind down the show is I ask you right now, you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice. Let's talk about back to that rock bottom moment, looking mm-hmm. back on it now, that hurdle moment where you're just so beside yourself with how much control you've taken over your body and just feeling dissatisfied and unhappy with your life. Right now you have an opportunity to offer that woman a piece of advice looking back on it now. What do you tell her? I would tell her that she is inherently worthy because she exists, that her body is the least interesting thing about her, um, and that she has so much magic to offer to this world and none of it revolves around what she looks like. None of it revolves around what she looks like. I love it. Chrissy, so grateful for your time today. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us all of the details. 
Well, first of all, Emily, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a wonderful conversation. Um, and you can keep up with me. I'm most present on Instagram. And on Instagram, it's I am Chrissy King. Of course, my website is chrissyking.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. Um, and I send out things there too. So amazing. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 